Aisha Degree was only nine years old when she walked out of her Shelby, North Carolina home on Valentine's Day 2000. Today, she's one of North Carolina's most infamous missing children. Her case still baffles law enforcement, but someone knows what happened to Shelby's sweetheart all those years ago. I'm Chris, and you're watching True Crime Recaps. A storm brewed overhead, and rain pelted everything between Shelby and Falston. It wasn't the best night for a walk, especially for a nine-year-old girl at three in the morning. Asia walked down Highway 18, a two-lane county road surrounded by open fields and trees. She headed southbound towards Shelby and was spotted between 3.45 and 4.15 by a passing motorist and a truck driver. She wasn't hard to miss. Even in the stormy darkness, her long-sleeved white t-shirt and white pants stood out. The trucker kept moving but radioed to his fellow drivers, warning them about a little girl walking along the highway. Meanwhile, the motorist turned around and drove back to see if she was okay, but when he approached Asia, her stranger danger lessons kicked in and she ran into the woods. Her mother, Iquilla's alarm went off around 5.45 a.m. Valentine's Day doubled as her and her husband Harold's wedding anniversary. But before they could celebrate, they had to get the kids ready for school. She drew the kids' bath and walked into their room to wake them, but Aisha was gone. Harold's mother lived across the street, so he assumed she may have wandered over to Grandma's house. The quick phone call proved otherwise, and the parents panicked. Iquilla called the police and reported her missing at 6.30 a.m. The first cops arrived ten minutes later, and police dogs combed the area looking for any sign of little Aisha. Iquilla called her daughter's name as loud as she could, so loud that she woke the whole neighborhood. Everyone canceled their holiday plans, and the entire community kicked into overdrive to find the missing girl. The motorist saw the news on TV and reported seeing Asia to the police. His description helped narrow the search to a mile-and-a-half area between their house and the junction of 18 and Highway 180. Sadly, 24 hours came and went without any sign. A few days later, several candy wrappers and some of Aisha's personal items were found in a shed along the highway, less than two miles away, very close to the last place she was spotted. These items included her pencils, the marker, and her Mickey Mouse bow, which Iquilla recognized as her daughter's. But they found something else strange in that shed, a wallet-sized photo of a little girl, but it wasn't Asia. In fact, no one in the area recognized her, not even the teachers at the elementary school. Maybe if they figured out what else Asia took with her, they might find a clue about where she was going. Iquilla tore through her daughter's belongings and realized her favorite pieces of clothing were missing including a pair of jeans with a decorative red stripe. Aisha clearly didn't leave in a hurry. She had time to think about this, plan it even. She took her favorite clothes, enough to last a few days out in the world, but she didn't take her coat. We can't say for sure if the candy wrappers belong to her, but it tracks for a nine-year-old thinking about how to feed herself. What made her disappearance even stranger is that she wasn't normally so independent. She had a brother named O'Brien who was only a year older than her, and they shared a bedroom in the family's small suburban home. And they were more like best friends. They did everything together and loved basketball more than anything. The siblings always looked out for each other, especially on their walk home from school. Their parents, Harold and Iquilla, worked regular jobs, and the kids had to let themselves in the house after school. They were expected to have their homework done by the time their parents got home. 
and since the family didn't have a computer in the house, there was little opportunity for distraction. You see, Harold and Aquila centered their children's lives on what they deemed most important, friends, family, and church. There was nothing on the computer but sickening stories about this kidnapping or that pedophile. Aquila didn't want that kind of bad news anywhere near her house. They taught their children never to talk to strangers, but Aisha was a shy kid anyway. She was scared to death of dogs, and Aquila had no reason to worry about her leaving the house, especially without her brother. But little Asia was a different kid on the basketball court. She was highly competitive, a star point guard on her fourth grade team at Falston Elementary School. That's what she was doing the weekend before she disappeared. On Saturday, February 12th, she fouled out of the game and the team lost. Her parents remember her getting upset about it, feeling like she'd let the team down after fouling out. But... The tears eventually stopped, and she enjoyed watching her brother play in the next game. She went to a slumber party at her cousin's down the street that night. They were up late, and she got about as much sleep as you can imagine a nine-year-old would, which is to say, almost none at all. February 13th began as a typical Sunday. The family went to church, and Harold went to work. Things took an odd turn when a nearby car accident knocked the power out around 9 p.m. The kids were already winding down for bed, but Aquila couldn't draw their bedtime bath during the power outage. They'd have to bathe in the morning before school. Harold returned home from work a little after midnight. The first thing he did was check on the kids, who were sound asleep in their beds. It was a late night for him. He turned in sometime around 2.30. He checked on the kids one more time before finally hitting the sack. O'Brien woke up after his dad left the room and recalled hearing Aisha roll over in bed. He didn't think much of it and just went back to sleep. But she wasn't just rolling over. She was sneaking out of bed with a book bag she'd packed earlier that night. She took a few pieces of clothing and some personal items, including some pencils, a marker, and her Mickey Mouse hair bow, and left the house around 3 a.m. The sheriff's office called off the search after investing 9,000 man-hours over an entire week. County Sheriff Dan Crawford felt defeated and told reporters how they never found that first solid lead. He urged them to keep the story alive and for anyone with information to come forward. Tips flooded the hotline, but nothing ever panned out. There was only so much Crawford's department could do. They couldn't investigate every lead that came in. They didn't have the resources. It was time to call in the big guns, the FBI. The feds put Asia in their missing children database and combed over every piece of evidence collected thus far. Her story didn't follow the typical missing children's case. According to Ben Ermini, an expert with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, most runaway kids are at least 12 years old. Then there's the lack of motive. Asia came from a good family and a safe home. She was an excellent student and athlete. There was no clear-cut reason for her to run away, and even though people pointed the finger at her parents, police found no evidence to suspect them of foul play. Is it possible that she was the victim of a hit-and-run? In the fall of 2000, an inmate by the name of Baron Ramsey claimed he and another man accidentally ran her over on their way home from a drug deal. Her body could be found in a nearby lake. It sounds possible, but police didn't believe a word of it. For one thing, there was nothing on the highway to suggest hit and run, and the lake was thoroughly searched with nothing to show for it. Aisha's story made national news once the FBI got involved. America's Most Wanted and Oprah Winfrey devoted segments to her story, but nothing spurred any leads. 
Then, on August 3rd, 2001, 18 months after she went missing, they found their first real clue. A construction project broke ground about 26 miles north of Shelby in the opposite direction Aisha seemed to be walking. When workers started digging, they found a plastic bag full of her personal items, including her backpack. According to the worker who found it, her name and phone number were written inside. The FBI swooped in and took the backpack to their labs in Quantico for testing. However, the results of those tests have never been shared. In fact, the FBI kept quiet about the backpack's contents for 17 years. Inside the backpack, they found a children's book titled McElligot's Pool by Dr. Seuss and a new Kids on the Block pajama t-shirt. Harold and Aquila confirmed that Asia didn't own such a shirt. Meanwhile, the book belonged to Asia's middle school. Someone, perhaps Asia, checked it out of the library and never returned it. Unfortunately, library records didn't go back that far. The book is about a little boy who imagines all the different exotic fish he might catch in his neighbor's pond. Did the FBI drop the ball by sitting on this information? We can't say for sure. The inside cover proved the book belonged to the Falston Elementary Library. The FBI would have to be wholly incompetent not to check with the library when they found the book in 2001. So either the library didn't pan out any leads, or whoever checked that book out has some friends in high places. Aisha's backpack was the last piece of meaningful evidence found in her case. The FBI chased dead-end leads for years, including one in 2004. A county jail inmate claimed to know where the little girl's body was buried, near an intersection about six miles from her house. But when police started digging, all they found were animal bones. In 2008, Aquila and Harold established a scholarship in Aisha's name to be awarded to a bright local student each year. They also host an annual walk from their home to the missing person billboard along Highway 18. The billboard serves as a haunting reminder of their missing daughter and features an image of what she might look like now. They used to hold this walk on Valentine's Day the day she went missing, but they changed it to February 6th, not wanting to ruin a holiday dedicated to love and partnership. In 2015, the FBI, the Sheriff's Office, and the SBI reignited the investigation. They interviewed witnesses from February 2000 and offered a $25,000 reward for anyone with information leading to an arrest and conviction, assuming someone abducted Aisha when she ran away. Then, in May 2016, the FBI announced an interesting lead. Someone came forward claiming they saw Asia get into a green 1970s car, either a Lincoln Continental Mark IV or a Ford Thunderbird, two similar-looking cars. The tipster said the car had rust around its wheel wells, but a lot of 50-year-old cars have a little rust around the wheel. But then there's the question of why now? Why did this tip come in 15 years after her disappearance? Well... It didn't. Apparently, the police knew about the car back in 2000, but didn't consider it noteworthy evidence. The reinvestigation in 2015 dug up the tip about these two cars, but nothing ever came of it. Was it too little too late? Aisha's case cooled off for another four years until a convicted sex offender came forward in November 2020 with some information. Marcus Mellon was imprisoned in 2014 for sex crimes against children. He penned a letter to the Shelby Star newspaper claiming he knew where Asia was and what happened to her. According to Marcus, he learned about her whereabouts in July 2020. 
If the FBI wanted to know what happened and where to find her body, they'd have to pay him a visit at Alexander Correctional Institute in North Carolina. Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman believed his story was worth following up on, but a COVID-19 outbreak in the jail delayed their visit. In February 2021, Sheriff Norman announced that Marcus's lead was another dead end. Competing theories are all Aisha's family has about what happened to their nine-year-old daughter on Valentine's Day all those years ago. Some point the finger at Harold, claiming he was an abusive father and had something to do with her disappearance. Others think Aisha was being groomed by someone who convinced her to run away from home. Then there's the question of the trucker who radioed about a little girl walking alone on the highway. Could a predatory trucker have heard the message and gone looking for her? One of the most popular theories surrounds a book she was reading in school, The Whipping Boy by Sid Fleischman. It's about a prince and his servant boy, his whipping boy, who run away from home and go on a coming-of-age adventure. Could the impressionable fourth grader's imagination have gotten the better of her? In the book, the boys are kidnapped by a pair of notorious highwaymen who hold them for ransom. Could the same have happened to Aisha Degree? What do you think? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.